Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com, or you can contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Shalom. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about fear and about its uh, 21st century subcategory of anxiety, which is so prevalent today. Um, And I wouldn't normally talk about fear on Shabbat, uh, but it's really a, a big factor in this week's parashah and really provides the turning point in the whole story. And it's also part of the climate that we're living in today, right? There's uh, fear about the coronavirus pandemic and uh, fear about the, the quarantine, about the shutdown. We're afraid that the government is uh, overreaching, intruding, doing too much, or maybe we're afraid on the other side that the government isn't doing enough. It's easy to be, uh, really be swept up in anxiety about the coronavirus. And in the past few weeks, we've been uh, made aware of the fear that is experienced, has been for generations by our brothers and sisters in the African American community. And then we might get into fear about the, uh, some of the excesses that are uh, linked to the legitimate protest concerning racial justice in America. So a lot of uh, fear in the uh, atmosphere, a lot of awareness of fear. And in our parashah, fear causes a great uh, detour in our journey from bondage to freedom. So uh, let's open with, not this week, but last week, when we, when we depart from Mount Sinai in Numbers chapter 10. Uh, we've really been there in Mount Sinai from the middle of uh, the book of Exodus until Numbers 10, receiving the Torah, building the tabernacle. The uh, priesthood is set up and, and instituted. And uh, finally, a census is taken, Book of Numbers, and it's time to depart from Sinai. And uh, last week we read about that departure, which is in, in splendid array. The Levites bear the tabernacle and its equipment upon their shoulders, and they're preceded by the tribe of Judah, under the banner of Judah with two other tribes in the vanguard, ahead of the tabernacle. And then three tribes with their banners waving on either side of the Levites with the tabernacle. And finally, uh, the tribe of Reuben and two other tribes in the rear guard, protectively. So let's look at the the climax. It's such a beautiful scripture. And uh, we recite it as part of our liturgy every week. There we go. Numbers 10, 33 through 36. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey. With the Ark of the, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day. The glory cloud, the Shekinah, was over the, uh, the marching camps of Israel. 
whenever they set out from the encampment. You recognize that from the Torah service, right? Uh, we're reenacting every week as we take the Torah from the Ark. We're reenacting the, the departure from Sinai and the march out on the way to uh, the promised land. Whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. So the Lord um, commanded Israel to set out from Mount Sinai. There's a uh, an interlude, Numbers 11 and 12, some troubles and challenges. But finally, in this week's parashah, Numbers 13, we come to the wilderness of Paran, where the glory cloud had uh, marked the way from the, the beginning. And uh, the wilderness of Paran is on the frontier of the promised land. And the Lord commands Moses to send out 12 spies, or we might say 12 scouts, depending on your translation, uh, to, to really get a complete feel for the land. Um, because it, it's uh, striking that uh, throughout Exodus and beyond, we're, we're commanded, we're promised the land of milk and honey, and we set out for the land of milk and honey, but there's really very little detail given. Uh, we're told that the Canaanites still dwell in the land, uh, but not a lot of detail. So the, the scouts or the spies go forth and they uh, scout out the land. They see the fruit of the land. They, they uh, find and harvest a great bunch of grapes that has to be carried on a pole between two of the scouts. And here's the uh, rendering of that that was the logo for the uh, Israel Department of Tourism. It might look familiar to you two scouts carrying this huge bunch of grapes on a pole between two of them. So they come back and they have a very uh, positive report about the fruitfulness of the land, but they bring in something else as well. They came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, which they already knew. And this is its fruit, which underlines that uh, abundance in the land. But, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. So they, the ten open with a positive report, and then they cancel it with a negative. And, you know, I'm thinking about communication uh, skills, basic positive communication. If you have something bad that you need to convey to someone, it's always wise to sandwich it between some good. And this, this is true in uh, raising children, in marital relations. It really works in, in the business, 
world, the ministry world, you know, if you need to deal with a negative, um, sandwich it between a couple of positives. It makes it more accessible and uh, leaves with a positive impression. So they start out that way. They give a positive, the 10, uh, but then they give a much beefier, to make a pun on sandwich, I guess, uh, they give a much beefier negative, and they, um, they kind of just leave it there. Well, Kalev, who is not one of the 10, he's, he's one of the uh, 12, the 10 plus two spies, he, he quiets the people after this big negative bombshell they just receive. He quiets the people before Moses, and he said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. So he gives the, the positive sandwich to that negative report uh, with the intent that they end with the positive and they rise up and meet the challenge of the promised land. But the, uh, the men who had gone up with him, the ten, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So the ten spies are giving in to fear, giving in to anxiety, and therefore they're infecting the entire community with that anxiety and that fear. The uh, Nephilim are, are a question mark in this passage because... Um, the Nephilim, the only other appearance of the Nephilim, whoever they are, whatever they are, is in Genesis 6, and it's a description of the chaos that uh, prevails in the world preceding the flood. And the Nephilim uh, are in this same passage that speaks about the sons of, of the gods or the sons of God um, intermarrying with daughters of men and the uh, giants in the earth in those days. And it's a picture of chaos and disorder, and it's terrifying. We don't even know exactly who the Nephilim are. We just know that they're, uh, they're other, and they're, they're scary. And the question is, how did the Nephilim survive the flood? Um, and there's different theories that uh, have been developed on how the Nephilim somehow are exempted from the flood over all the earth. But I think the real answer is that here in Numbers, they, they aren't really Nephilim. That this is the hysteria of the ten. This is how, what fear will do. If we give way to our fears, we give way to um, hysterical interpretations of what's going on. And we spread this kind of terrifying disinformation. The reality is that, yeah, there are some really big people among the Canaanites. And uh, the evidence of that is the uh, survival of Goliath hundreds of years later, who uh, it looks like by that time is, is uniquely tall. He's about nine feet tall. Um, and uh, he is finally slain by David in the familiar story. So, yeah, there's some big Canaanites. Um, nine feet tall would be 
you know, at least about 50% taller than a tall man, maybe even more because people were a bit shorter in those days. So he's really big, but he's not uh, one of the Nephilim, whatever those are. And uh, he's not so big that he would uh, look, look like at, the, at a normal Israelite or a normal person like, like a grasshopper, you know, or a person wouldn't feel like, gee, I'm a grasshopper compared to this guy. So there's this hysteria that is afoot. And fear and anxiety will do that as believers in the God of Israel and believers in the Messiah, Yeshua, we are not to give in to fear. We're not to spread fear and infect others with fear. And the Torah is very clear about that. Um, before I, I pass on information, and you know, we live in the information age where we're just deluged with all kinds of information, and this, this question is very real for us. Should I pass this on? How many of you get uh, something in your email uh, inbox or, or in uh, Facebook Messenger and it says, you know, pass this on, pass this information on to everybody on your list. And you look at it and uh, you have to ask, is, is it even true? You know, you, uh, after a while, you kind of develop uh, a sensor or antenna that, that picks up what is bogus and what isn't. And uh, it's especially the case when you get something in Messenger that says, pass this on, urgent prayer need. And you know that you read this same exact post five years ago, and nothing ever came of it. So before you, uh, you pass it on, you, we have to ask, do I know that this is true? Not just that this information is out there, but is it true information? And Scripture speaks against spreading rumors. So Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go around as a slanderer, or as a tail-bearer among your people. This verse is, uh, there's uh, a variety of translations, but this is really the rabbinic traditional understanding of this verse. You're not to go around as a tail-bearer among your people. Um, and it reflects earlier commandments in Exodus. In the Ten Commandments, uh, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So don't repeat false information. It's especially grievous if it's false witness, if it's used to um, indict or uh, destroy the reputation of another person, that's a, a serious violation of Torah. Exodus 23.1, you shall not spread a false report. So let's not be casual or cavalier in passing on information that can just stoke anxiety and stoke fear. And, um, and even worse, information that, that can damage uh, a person's reputation. It's, it's a grave offense. So before I pass something on, do I know that it is true? And do I really, even if it is true, do I really want to add uh, to the surrounding anxiety? We live in anxious times, and there's situations in the past few months that have really spiked the anxiety level among us. Do I want to pass on information that is uh, likely just to increase the anxiety? This is really relevant. It's always relevant. Um, you know, I gave some examples early on, but, but uh, the need to 
to stem anxiety and fear is always there. It's especially relevant if you suffer from uh, chronic anxiety or you live with someone who deals with a lot of anxiety, which is not unusual. Uh, we need to be careful about what we pass on and uh, what we spread around that might increase fear and increase anxiety. So the 10 uh, get hysterical. They, they see the Nephilim and uh, Moses and Aaron uh, make an effort to uh, calm the crowd down. It doesn't seem to work. And finally... Caleb, Kalev, speaks up again in Numbers 14. He says, <clears throat> excuse me, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. They are bread for us. How's that for uh, some really great trash talk, right? You're bread for me. You know, I'm going to eat you up. Uh, and you don't even have to chew that hard with bread. It, you're, you're, you know, you're an easy conquest. So they're bread for us. Then he says something that is, is really the most important. He says, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. So do not fear them. Their protection there is the word, uh, it's also translated as shadow in some translations. It's the word cell. Cell, I'll put it up in a minute. Um, it first appears in Genesis 19 when um, the two men come to Sodom and, and Lot offers them hospitality. You remember the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the men of Sodom uh, come and they want to assault these men. And Lot says, they've come under the shadow, the cell of my roof. So they're under protection. What Caleb is pointing out is there's a supernatural dimension behind the conflict that we see in front of us. And that's true today as it was uh, 3,000 plus years ago in the days of Joshua and Caleb, uh, that there's a supernatural dimension. There's a supernatural or a spiritual struggle that uh, manifests in exterior problems that can be intimidating and overwhelming and terrifying to us. But when we remember that there's a, uh, a spiritual force behind this or spiritual forces, we can not give in to our fears. We can live beyond our fears. So let's look at this term protection or shadow cell. It's the most familiar, I think, to us in uh, in the Psalms, you know, there's a shadow, a demonic power that was over the enemies of God, but, but God's shadow, God's protection is over his people, and we need not fear. Show how wonderful is your grace, Psalm 17. Savior of those who seek at your right hand refuge from their foes. Protect me like the pupil, pupil of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Protect me like your own eye, like you would guard and uh, keep safe the pupil of your own eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Perhaps most familiar, Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. So to, to counter fear, recognize the supernatural dimension, and most of all, recognize God's preeminence. When we're under the shadow of the Almighty, we're in, in his shelter. He is our refuge and he's, he's our fortress, and we do not need to give way to fear. So Caleb says, this, this is not magic. You know, it's not like uh, God is on our side, so no matter what, we're good. Um, Caleb provides a more detailed picture. He says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And we know throughout Scripture that the Lord delights in those who, who fear him, who trust in him, who uh, believe in his promises and, and uh, follow in his ways. Not necessarily perfectly, you know, it's not like the Lord's only going to delight with us in us if we're absolutely perfect. He delights in us if we live a, a life of trust and reliance and um, closeness, right relationship to him. So if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. Do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So you notice there, um, do not fear is repeated. He says it twice. And we can rise above fear. We can live beyond our fears as we rely on the shadow of the Almighty. Then all the congregation, here's their great response, right? Uh, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So the, the congregation still rejects it. You know, there's no guarantees, but we know we can live beyond our fears. And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in, in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? So I think we, we despise the Lord when we account his uh, power as uh, insufficient or unavailable, when we don't factor God in to our uh, circumstances. We're, we're despising him, we're making him less than he really is when we give in to our fears. Now, I don't think we're called to account for feeling fear. I think that's part of life, that there's times when we feel anxiety, when we feel fearful. But we are called to account by, by acting upon our fears, by living under fear instead of living beyond our fears. Acting in fear devalues, ignores, despises God. But we don't have to live in fear. We can believe his promises and believe his presence. And for us who are followers of Messiah, Yeshua, Messiah is our shadow. Messiah is the presence of God in our midst. And Messiah, Yeshua says uh, at the conclusion of Matthew, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth or the end of the age. So the shadow of God is with us, and we can live under his shadow. The writer of Hebrews uh, reminds us of the words of the Lord, um, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And it goes on to say, the Lord is with us. Uh, what can man do to us? I shall not fear. So we can live beyond our fears as we trust and rely in the shadow of God over us, his protection in Messiah Yeshua. Lord God, help us to live beyond our fears. Help us to be a source of encouragement and strength to those around us, to not spread fear, but instead to spread faith and encouragement and reliance upon you. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you.